Hello, David. Hey, Graham. Hey, how was your trip to Germany when you're becoming a licorice farmer? Uh, what? Aren't you becoming a licorice farmer in Germany? That's why we took I, a week off. Well, the hard thing about licorice hard to grow. Does you know so difficult difficult terrain. You have to. It's just like it's kind of like cotton or okra. It's just a lot of um, difficulties in in terms of harvesting it. So I think I'm going to give up that life and stick with podcasting with you. That's that's good. I was getting bored with you just talking about it, but I'm glad you're back. Yeah. Are um. But, you, you have a uh, joke though, or? Well, while you were away, I have to tell you. Um, oh. Okay. I pulled a muscle uh, while I was digging for gold. I have lots of questions, but that sounds terrible. It was a minor injury. <laughs> well, yeah, that... my a minor. Yeah, minor no, I, 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 I get it. You know what else? It's a minor. It's a minor joke. Minor. <laughs> Wait, does that mean you're going into the negatives? Are we digging? No, 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 down? no. It's still better than a lot of jokes that both of us have told. So I'll say, oh, I think I it's right around that five, four and a half, five range. Does that seem fair to you? I love it. Okay. Yeah. All right. 4.75 then. <laughs> Split the difference. Hey, I got one for you though. Okay. What is it? What did uh this is one you should you should understand. What did uh Neil Armstrong say when no one laughed at his moon jokes? <laughs> I guess you had to be there. Yeah, exactly. I guess you had to be there. Oh no, did I step on it? Yeah, that's the answer. It's okay. It's okay. You you guessed it right, but now that means you gotta give you you know, that means that you have to give it a good score. Because it's uh, yeah, uh or does it? Well, enough of the nonsense. Let's get on with the nonsense. Welcome back to Witty Windle, a whimsical interactive show for kids who love stories, words, and grow-worthy jokes, featuring your favorite authors and illustrators. It's part book club, part game show, and it's an adventure through the wild world of wordplay. I'm David Kern, and that's... Wait, are you Graham Pittman? I am Graham Pittman. Okay. I wasn't sure if you had changed your name following, you know, like you had a special minor name. You know how people, did you know that people can have special? Oh, yeah. I didn't. Yeah. Well, maybe they have to be um, like certified or qualified or in some sort of mining guild and they get christened oh, with I a would, certain name. I, I would, didn't, I I would didn't sure hope so. I would hope you have yeah, to be christened I, into a guild if you're a miner. No, you can't just, not anybody can just dig in the ground and give themselves a name. Or give That'd themselves be ludicrous. <laughs> what would your miner name be? Oh, it would have to be something, um, something kind of tough, and like, uh, but also old timey, right? Spudweb. So maybe like uh, uh, Ed. Uh, Wait, is that Chaffing, tougher? Or- Chaffingsworth. <laughs> <laughs> Edward. <laughs> sir Ed- no, not Sir. He can't be a Sir. He's in the dirt. Oh uh, yeah, no, no. He's not the one who owns the mining company. Yeah, no, did no, no. He works for Sir. Okay, no, no, no. Did no. you Edward's just say gone. Edward Chaffingsworth? No, uh, Edward's sounds gone. awful. <laughs> the first name is now Chaffee. Okay, we're rebooting this. Okay. Chaffee, and then he comes from Scotland, so he's a Edsworth. Mick. Edsworth. McEds- Chaffee McEdsworth. And <laughs> why are you saying he? Yeah, we're talking find, about you. He doesn't find anything. <laughs> Shock! Uh, shocker! I uh, say, I'm shocked. He moved from he moved from a lush 
farm in Nebraska uh, out to California. Yeah, yeah. And mortgaged his uh, everything, yeah, and he just looks looks cracks rocks open and cries. <laughs> and there's lots oh. of ballads, of old Chaffee. Who needs story time when we've got this story of old Chaffee <laughs> McEdsworth? Well, hey Graham, who's the guest this week on this week's podcast? Oh, uh, the um, the guest on this week's podcast is none other than Brandon Mull. Which, in a way, is kind of its own great miner's name. Yeah, I agree with that. Maybe he, maybe he has, I mean, people can have hobbies, right? I'm assuming people have hobbies. We should tell him can have- that if he wants to have a hobby, uh, mining might be a good one. You know, some people, they write for a hobby. Brandon Mull, he writes... And mines for a hobby. <laughs> so shout he out to mines him. For We're going to tell you all. It's, that's that. Oh, you did it. You said it. You did. You got it right. We're going to tell you more about him here in a little bit. Of course, before that, we're going to have story time, lazy words, and snack time. You know, the thing though is, Graham, there's a book that you worked on, and it's probably for the best if we go ahead and tell people about it because that's a book that is helping make this episode possible. If you are a listener of this podcast who likes such things as knights in shining armor, princesses, or wizards, we have great news for you because our friends over at the Cersei Press have a new collection of Arthurian legends coming out this spring. It's available for pre-order right now, and Graham Pittman designed the cover on it, as we have said one too many times now. (laughs) It includes some of the most beloved tales, like the finding of the sword and the stone in Excalibur, as well as some lesser-known ones, like the tale of Balin and Balin. Two brothers who accidentally fight each other, which I think a lot of our listeners know a little thing or two about. And of course, there's also a story about a young man who wants to be a knight but has to prove himself worthy, even while a young maiden asks him to do silly things. This is a very special version of the Arthurian stories, and we, we've talked about this already, but it's because it's got it's got a whole design specifically for read-alouds with questions that you can ask before you're reading or after you're reading or during your reading. There's all kinds of questions for you. Uh, it's a, it just makes reading the King Arthur stories aloud as a family engaging and simple. And it's going to look good on your shelf because also Graham designed the, the cover. So good job, Graham. Why, thank you. And it's, yeah, it's available for pre-order at com slash store. And I know it's not out yet, but uh, I've already started preparing the bookstore uh, for its arrival, David. Um mm-hmm. No, my book. I thought we could have a whole uh, Legends of the Round Table wing, I suppose you would call it. So the whole left side of the store, I took all the books that were currently there. Okay. I uh, put them down in the basement. Um, not all of them fit. I had to put some outside. But so all of that shelf space is now cleared for this book to come in. So did you put a round table in there for the display? Oh. Because that seems like low hanging fruit. As far as display, you know what? Never mind. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, mm. You know what? So, how can people get this book though? Besides coming into my bookstore. Yeah. So you will click the link in the show notes. Uh, there'll be a couple links, and you'll see one that says either Roundtable Book or Arthur Book. Uh, click that link and head on over to the Cersei Institute, and you can pre-order it for its special price. Well, thank you so much to the Cersei Press and for their team, including Graham, who designed the cover, for sponsoring making this season possible. Okay, Graham, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and do snack time. And I say we're going to take a quick break because I have to go to the bathroom. (laughs) All right, we are back and it is time for snack time. Now, Graham, 
I have two snacks here that I brought that I wanted to ask you about because these are two things that one of these things we talk about a lot, but I don't know if we ever talked about it on the podcast. The, well, at least in the way that I want to tonight. The second hmm. thing I don't know that you and I have ever talked about. Now, we both like uh, gummy candies, gummy bears, gummy worms, things like yeah. that. Have mm-hmm. you ever had... You don't like raisins, right? Uh, yeah, I do. Okay, yeah. you do like raisins. Um, yeah. Have you ever had the raisin fruit snacks, the sour... These ones are sour watermelon that like Sunmade or Trader Joe's makes. They, they're raisins, but they have been sourified. Yeah, basically. Sourified? They made it to gummies. Have you had these before? Because they're delicious. No. I've discovered these from, I guess, my kids who discovered them from a friend or something. And they are delicious. And here's the thing. Well, what is their official brand name? Well, this is Sunmade, and they're called mm-hmm. Fruity Raisin Snacks. So they're, <laughs> and they have zero added sugar. So just the natural sugars, I guess. So I guess they're a little, they're like fruit snacks, but they're a little healthier in theory than and they're fruit sour, snacks. but only a little. You'd okay. like them, like okay. Sour Patch Kids type. Okay, so maybe it's like they're raisins that have gone slightly bad. No, no, they and taste- they've rebranded them as not. Uh, instead of throwing them in the garbage. That's what I'm hearing. Listen, I don't think that's mm. the case, but if it is, I accept it. And I that the um, that the universe has invented a delicious new way to eat old fruit. Okay. That is interesting though. So it's it's just like, uh, it's just little little fruit snack, real fruit snack with no yeah, sugar. Yeah, they're, like they're the size of little raisins. Like if you got a little box of raisins. Yeah. Some of them but are it's a little like, um, It's kind of doing the same thing as candy would. Your brain is confused. Right. No, my brain is happy. Yeah, okay. Right All right. Okay. Now, here's the other question. Now, I bet a lot of kids have heard of these, these the, the fruity raisin snacks. Now, I know we've talked about this before on the show. We talk about chips and things like that all the time. Mm. I have a bag here of, this is just the Target brand, uh, but kettle-cooked sea salt and vinegar potato chips. Oh, man. If, yep. If you had to choose one yeah. potato chip... That if, to eat, like you're on a desert island, a deserted island, and you oh. can choose, you can have one Rock. bag of chips. You have a lifetime supply of a bag of chips there. What kind of chip are you going to bring? Okay, so wrong snack for a desert island, first off. Uh, it's not... <laughs> wait, is there a, strategy, a lifetime it's... supply of... Is there a spring of water? Like, I mean, it's uh, an island. Delicious. Yeah, well, <laughs> I've been to islands. Um, uh, okay, you, well, you might be holding it right there. That might be the Salt chip. Vinegar. It's just so well balanced. Like I, I really like um, uh, dill pickle. Mm-hmm. I like I like the like stronger. Chips. Okay, so let me like stop you there because I want to do an okay. exercise together. Ooh. You and I collectively have to come up with our Mount Rushmore of chips. Oh, okay. Excluding, well, actually, we can include Cheetos and Doritos if we want to. But let's say okay. we have to come up with our Mount Rushmore of of chip. We'll just say potato chip in general. So, do you? Th- I think we do we both would you would you be like a hundred percent salt and vinegar has to be on there? Top four. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because I would too. Salt and vinegar. That's an easy one. Do you have anything else where you say um, has to has to or I fight you? You know, um. 
Blue Dorito's been around with me my whole life. Uh, okay. I, I, I've never eaten them and been like, nah, I'm not, not right now. <laughs> Would you put dill pickle chips over Blue Doritos or Blue Doritos over dill pickle? Well, the thing with Mount Rushmore is it's a, it's a horizontal um, I know. categorization of these things, not a vertical. True. Okay. Stack. So, did, but where does dill? Does, I'm just saying, like, if does dill pickle have to be on this too? Yeah. So I think it's dill pickle, salt and vinegar, blue Doritos, and then the wild card. Oh my goodness! Is it voodoo? Is it uh, the, uh, the? I like like a spicy Thai chip or a, yeah. So we gotta. A it seems like we gotta or, have some kind of. See, are salt and vinegar and dill pickle too similar? No. but what about just like that like a ridged like that salt and cracked pepper like perfect with like anything any meat any sea salt and black uh, sea salt and pepper yeah cracked pepper okay and then blue doritos i think not something spicy they've just i've just liked them for 30 odd years and no barbecue i don't know this is this our this is our collective one so you can boot it but uh I, I eat a lot of like the voodoo chips, but um, I don't know if they're my favorite. They're, they're that's a very like unbalanced chip, right? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. It was just, like the whole it, the whole thing. It was invented by accident. Yeah, it's a, that's a too much flavor. It's attacking you so, as you eat it. What about uh, spicy Cheeto or? Um, yep. What about tortilla chips? <sighs> yeah, but I guess chip and salsa. Yeah, we just salsa. We are we have salsa on our island. I guess maybe we could grow some tomatoes and jalapenos. Yeah, and some cilantro and onion and let's say uh, let's say there's no salsa for this exercise. Okay. Then no. <laughs> no tortilla chip. <laughs> I like to eat plain tortilla chips, but um and, but no Cheetos? There's no salt on the island. Cheetos. Um yeah, the jalapeno Cheetos. Yeah. This is too much pressure. I know I'm forgetting something. We're forgetting something. What about like Fritos or sour cream and cheddar or something like that? Yeah, those are fine. But they're not they're not making your list. Well, not if it's the top four. What about jalapeno chips? I like them. Still not making your top four? Mm-mm. See, I think for me, I would want, if it was my list, I would want to take out either salt and vinegar or dill pickle and get a jalapeno in there, even though I like those. Because sometimes I just want something spicy. But I would accept salt and vinegar, dill pickle, sea salt and cracked pepper, and and uh, blue Doritos as as a pretty good, like I we I could be happy. I mean, you, yeah, you, that's you, a that's a lineup that if a if if a if steamboat or a ocean liner came to your island to rescue you and you had an unlimited supply of those four chips on that island, you'd be like, I'm good. I'll just stay. I'll just stay here. Yeah, yeah. I'll just stay here. But yeah. maybe they could drop off. No, some salsa. well, you'd also be like, you got any salsa? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, okay. So I think we've just solved a great problem. So I think anytime we travel, we should make sure that we have one bag of each of those with us, just so that if we ever do end up on an island in the middle of nowhere, we at least have, you know, we at least have those supplies. Um, we have the essentials. Exactly. Now, we just took a break. Normally, we take a break after snack time, but we took a break previously because I had to go to the bathroom. So let's not take a break now. Let's just jump right into Lazy Word. Let's just mix it up for the kids. Lazy Word. All right. So we we went long on snack time. We're going to blaze through Lazy Word. All right. So last week, we said that uh, laptop was a lazy word for that portable, magical 
computing device that you carry around with you. Uh, on our Substack, uh, Nate left a comment that said, if laptop is a lazy word, then desktop needs to be a lazy word. And Nate is 100% correct. I did not even think that desktop is actually the name that some people call their computer. Is it possible um, that Nate is actually smarter than you? Yes. Uh, yes, <laughs> very much so. Um, but I just call the computer that I use every day my machine. Like, that's just why I call it. Mm -hmm. I, I never refer to my computer as a desktop. So I forgot. I forgot that's what people call them. Or some people do. Um, but yes, laptop. Very lazy. Very bad. What Did anybody uh, come up so with any Holly, solutions? Holly thinks it should be called thinking machine or the device of possibility <laughs> or portal to essays. <laughs> that last one doesn't sound as fun, but uh, we'll go with it. Uh, Clara, both Clara and Daniel both came up with portaputer. Porta, porta pewter. <laughs> porta pewter. Yep. <laughs> Daniel's was hyped. I like that one. Uh, also, let's see here a uh, movable screen. Uh, Oliver thinks techno world. Uh, Tiana, slightly modified stone tablet. I would say more than slightly, but I like I like this one. Uh, she also says uh, story keeper. Hmm. I think that's pretty good. Nice, nice. All right, this week's lazy word. Yeah, tell us again. It is super lazy. Um, is it desktop? <laughs> it's not. It's not desktop. I'm going to consider desktop as one we've done already. Um, <laughs> This one is something uh, probably a lot of people use every day. Um, it's outside. Uh, it is adjacent or next to the road, usually parallel with the road, hopefully, unless it's a crossing. Um, but it's a thing that you don't drive on it. You walk on it. You're about a sidewalk? I'm talking about the sidewalk. <laughs> mm. Oh, David. About. What have we done? Hmm. We, we've we've placed the pedestrian path beneath the vehicle as far as the hierarchy of transportation, and and now it is named just by referencing the road. Uh, it is beside the road where you walk. What um, would be more lazy, calling it pedestrian path or calling it sidewalk? Well, pedestrian path is certainly not lazy. That's a mouthful. Um, well, it's not lazy, but at least. True. I think it's just the word side. That's like, yeah, it's the it's it's just over by the side. Like it's it's lesser than the road that we all yeah, it's yeah. very important road here. Um and you can walk over there on the side. And you know, it's not it's not good. This one actually feels like uh, it's got a lot of injustice uh, baked into it. <laughs> we got baked into all the injustices in the world. You know, and we've already <laughs> proven that as a as a society that we can invent walking paths with better names. We came up with escalator yeah, exactly. We've um, proven that we have a capacity to do this. It should be the... It just, it just needs a much, much, much better name. Any name you give it will be better. But <laughs> let's try to get much, much, much better. So if the kids want to do that... Yeah, if you want to uh, help us rename Sidewalk, you can click the link in the show notes, go to our Substack, leave a comment on the latest episode, or you can email us at podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. Dot com. Well, that was another wonderful edition of Lazy Wargs. Graham, thank you for bringing to our notice 
the injustice that is the term sidewalk and giving us an opportunity to become heroes. <laughs> He's speechless. Sometimes you, you sometimes you compliment a person and they just they just don't know what to say. Sometimes you comment them with so many superlatives that it ceases to be a compliment. <laughs> Well, that brings us to the end of Lazy Words. We'll be right back with story time. All right, we are back, and it is time for story time. Now, Graham brought a story last week, so that means that it is my turn to bring a story to surprise Graham with this time. Graham, this is a story called Lazy Jack which coming after Lazy Time felt felt right. felt like a good title to, to choose. This is an English fairy tale. Um, and I found this just for people who, who want to know, might want to find it, on Project Gutenberg, which is a great place where they've got free digital copies of old books. Um, and it's not real long, which is great because it's about Lazy Jack. So Lazy Jack would even be able to read it. So are you ready to hear about Lazy Jack, Graham? Absolutely. All right, here we go. Once upon a time, there was a boy whose name was Jack. And he lived with his mother on a common. They were very poor, and the old woman got her living by spinning. But Jack was so lazy that he would do nothing but bask in the sun and the hot weather and sit by the corner of the hearth in the wintertime. So they called him Lazy Jack. This sounds a lot like my dog. His mother could not get him to do anything for her, and at last told him one Monday that if he did not begin to work for his porridge, she would turn him out to get his living as he could. Do you think I could say that to my dog? If you're not going to work for your porridge, I will turn you out to get your living as you can. Uh, yes. I believe you could say it. You sound skeptical of the results. Anyway, exactly. this roused Jack, and he went out and hired himself for the next day to a neighboring farmer for a penny. But as he was coming home, never having had any money before, he lost it in passing over a brook. You stupid boy, said his mother. You should have put it in your pockets. I'll do so another time, replied Jack. Well, on Wednesday, Jack went out again and he hired himself to a cowkeeper who gave him a jar of milk for his day's work. Jack took the jar and put it into the large pocket of his jacket, spilling it all long before he got home. Dear me said the old woman. You should have carried it on your head. I'll do so another time, said Jack. Well, on Thursday, Jack hired himself again to a farmer who agreed to give him a cream cheese for his services. In the evening, Jack took the cheese and went home with it on his head. By the time he got home, the cheese was all spoiled, part of it being lost and part matted with his hair. You stupid lout, said his mother. You should have carried it very carefully in your hands. I'll do so another time, replied Jack. (laughs) On Friday, Lazy Jack again went out and hired himself to a baker who would give him nothing for his work but a large tomcat. Well, Jack took the cat and began carrying it very carefully in his hands. Hmm. But in a short time, the cat scratched him so much that he was compelled to let it go. When he got home, his mother said to him, You silly fellow, you should have tied it with a string and dragged it along after you. I'll do so another time, said Jack. So on Saturday, Jack hired himself to a butcher who rewarded him by the handsome present of a shoulder of mutton. Do you know what mutton is, by the way, Graham? Oh, do I? 
No. <laughs> well, Jack, yeah, it's lamb. It's Jack, lamb. Yeah, Jack took the mutton, tied it to a string, and trailed it along after him in the dirt. So that by the time he had got home, the meat was completely spoiled. His mother was this time quite out of patience with him for the next day was Sunday and she was obliged to make do with cabbage for her dinner. You ninny hammer, she said to her son. You should have carried it on your shoulder. I'll do so another time, replied Jack. Um, what was the what was that insult she called uh, him? Ninny hammer. You ninny mm-hmm. hammer. You should have carried it on your shoulder. Yeah, I think you should write that down. You might be able to use, that might come in handy in your parenting at some point. Well, I'm filing that away. On the next Monday, Lazy Jack went once more and he hired himself to a cattle keeper who gave him a... What do you think he gave him, Graham? The cattle keeper um, would give him uh, one fresh hoof. Nope, gave him a donkey. Jack found it hard to hoist the donkey on his shoulders. But at last he did it and began walking slowly home with his prize. Now, it happened that in the course of his journey, there lived a rich man with his only daughter, a beautiful girl, but she was deaf and dumb. Now, she had never laughed in her life, and the doctor said she would never speak till somebody made her laugh. This young lady happened to be looking out the window when Jack was passing with the donkey on his shoulders, with the legs sticking straight up in the air, and the sight was so comical and strange <laughs> that she burst out into a great fit of laughter and immediately recovered her speech and hearing. Her father was overjoyed and fulfilled his promise by marrying her to Lazy Jack, who was thus made a very rich gentleman. They lived in a large house happily ever after, and Jack's mother lived with them in great happiness herself until she died. The end. Okay. Um, first off, let's let's applaud Jack uh, for his perseverance. I know, exactly. Seems like, seems like maybe not so lazy. Stuck um, to it. And then it only took, I, it only took I, good insulting by his parents. It, and then the the end sounded so perfect, except the part where his um, uh, uh, verbally abusive uh, mother had to come live with them as well, which makes it sound more realistic. So that, I guess there's that. You know, it's never going to be perfect. And what it really should have said is, for the rest of his life, he lived with his with this uh, beautiful girl in a large house, and Jack's mother lived with them in great happiness, calling him Ninny Hammer until the day that she died. That's what it should have said. <laughs> the end. The end. Goodbye. Well, Graham, that was an English folktale, and it had lots of Englishness to it, I think. So that brings us to the end of this week's story time. What do you think of that one? I love that one. Do you know which country that came from? Does it say? Yeah, English. Okay, that's what I thought so. Yeah. Being Jack and all. Yeah, also because I said English. <laughs> uh, well, that brings us to the ninny hammer. That brings us to the <laughs> end of story time. Up next, we're going to tell you a little bit about Brandon Mull. All right, we are back. And it is time for our author interview. And this time, Graham, do you remember who, who the guest is? Do you, do you remember we talked about it earlier? Yeah, it's Brandon Mull. Brandon Mull, who is a writer and also a minor, it turns out we, we discovered earlier, or at least we decided so earlier on the podcast. But he is best known not for mining, but f- unless it's for mining for ideas, uh, for the number one New York Times bestselling author of the Fable Haven, Fable Haven books the Beyonders series, and the Five Kingdoms series. This is what his biography on his website says. I'm just going to read it because I think it's fun. 
A kinetic thinker, Brandon enjoys bouncy balls, squeezable stress toys, and popping bubble wrap. He lives in Utah in a happy little valley near the bo- near the mouth of a canyon with his four children and a dog named Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Brandon loves meeting his readers and hearing about their experiences with his books. We had a great time chatting with him. I think he was really excited about some of the questions that came in. And uh, he is somebody we've wanted to have on for a while, right, Graham? Uh, since almost, what, like, well, I guess yes. even before episode one. Yeah, he was we on our list, yeah. Brandon. Yeah, it took a little while to get it scheduled, but we were super excited to have him on. So do you have anything else you would like to say about this interview, or should we just, you know, kick it over to it? Let's kick it. Here's Brandon Mull. Well, we are here with Brandon Mall, and let me just say, we are very excited to have you, Brandon, because you are maybe our most requested guest in recent years. So thank you for making the dreams come true of many children. I am so happy to be here. It's my, it's my pleasure. Well, we're going to talk about your new book. We're going to talk about old books. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. But we have to start with the question that we begin every interview. It's a question that a kid sent in before our first ever episode. And it goes like this, Brandon. Cheetos or Doritos? Uh, um, a little bit more Doritos for me. Okay, but is that like you, you'll eat either, but it's a little Doritos, or you don't eat either? No, no, you have no. To I, choose I, one. I, I, I eat both, and I, I lean a little more toward Doritos over the Cheetos. So are you just like original Doritos, Cool Ranch, spicy chili? What do you Doritos wise? Yeah, kind of, kind of original, like the nacho cheese sort of flavor. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The OG. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's been working for me since little Ziploc baggies in elementary school. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. Um, a couple of food-related questions here that the, the kids love to hear. Do you get asked this when you do school visits? What food do you like? Because we get lots of questions for the authors about food. Sometimes, but I, I think about food all the time. So this is like, <laughs> no, you're, you're right in my wheelhouse. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, okay. Cake or cookies? Cake or cookies? Uh, normally cookies. Okay. What's your favorite cookie? What's your go-to? It's easier to grab a cookie as a snack than grab a cake as a snack. It's yeah. very true. In my mind. Um, what is my favorite cookie? There's a there's a thing called crumble cookies out here. Is that nationwide? Um, it, uh, maybe maybe it we have a different detail. Name. Crumble cookies just is a specialty cookie place that makes nice big like chocolate chip cookies or okay um, frosted cookies. A, a, a frosted sugar cookie can can be really wonderful. You know, a perfect yeah. chocolate chip cookie. If it's to me, perfect means it's kind of loaded. It's got nuts and it's like homemade and it's got all sorts of like everything but the kitchen sink in it along with yeah, yeah. chips. that's a really special kind of cookie um so okay let me ask I, i'm all over the place man i'll also eat an oreo like it, it my, with my son if we ever see oreo keeps coming out with like double stuff mega stuff more stuff yeah. that like we're like yeah let's try it just see how good yeah. it is with like you know an inch thick of icing in it yep i just tried mega stuff uh two days ago and i want to say uh i approve <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm cool with it if you're in the mood for the filling, it, it delivers. Yeah, and I got, apparently I was in that moment. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the one, one, more the one David and I have never tried is the like half stuff, whatever that one's called, where it's like we took half the filling out and it now. Whoa! Be- I've never tried that either. I'd be like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, it's like it's, Oreo thins or something. Yeah, yeah. I hear you, man. Like, yeah, it gets it gets they, two they thumbs down. Don't have down. a customer in me either. Yeah, it defeats the purpose of an Oreo. Yeah, I'm just right? taking away the Oreo ness. Yeah. I accidentally uh, googled crumble cookies, and it's crumble without the e. 
you accidentally Googled it? How does one yeah, accidentally Google Crumble? It just happened. It just happened, David. And, oh, okay. Uh, I see. I see. They look incredible. <laughs> yeah, they, um, they make good cookies. They, uh, yeah, it's the cookies taste good. We need to open up a franchise here, David. Okay, we'll that can be this. that can be my other like my other once I've you know the bookstore seems to be running okay. We're yeah. just gonna that's the next endeavor. Bra- Brandon will invest. We'll we'll talk about it later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, coffee or tea, Brandon? I, I I don't do either. If if I do um, a hot drink, it would be like an herbal tea. Got it. Ooh, okay. Like a spearmint. Okay. Yeah, like uh, yeah, mint, uh, chamomile, mm. stuff, something like that. Okay. Okay. I love those teas. Before we give you a chance to kind of tell us about the new book and what you, you know, what you like a little bit about yourself. Last food question for now. Yeah. When you're writing, you're trying to break a story down. You got a deadline, you know, you're in, it's, it's hardcore writing time. Are you snacking? And if so, on what? Usually not snacking. The reason is when I'm snacking, I focus on the food too much. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah, like, yeah. it's like all, it becomes all, I get tunnel vision. It's all about the food. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I eat plenty, but, but, I, but I'm usually when I'm writing, I'm, I'm trying to give myself tunnel vision because I'm very distractible. I think that's fair. You know, every writer has got to figure out their process. So yeah, if I were to snack, it would be chips or nachos or something like that. If I were to snack during writing, it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> Between writing all the time. Yeah. Does that make sense? You know it's I mean? not, yeah, yeah. It's how you get to the next writing session. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. walk out into the kitchen. I'm no longer writing. And then like I, I'm, I'm browsing for quite a while, figuring out what I want to put inside my body. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sustenance for the next time when you have to write. Mm-hmm. All right, Graham, go ahead. All right. So, Brandon, uh, we like to kind of kick off this part of the interview with letting you uh, talk a little bit about your work, and in your case, very prolific work. You, it looks like you've been uh, having, havening fables and watching dragons and candy shopping <laughs> and all this stuff for years and years. So uh, you can, I don't know if you have like a, an elevator pitch for the stories you like to write, or maybe the themes that you that that you that you think of a lot, or maybe you just want to kind of feature talk a little bit about the newest book that you were, you that just came out uh, i'll leave that all kind of up to you i know it's a lot but uh or yours sure I, I can give you some basics easy so for me my gateway to fantasy was narnia when i was a kid i didn't like to read until i read that story um kids going into another world having adventures seemed really awesome to me i was then influenced by lord of the rings which said oh you can take fantasy and make it feel authentic like a history make it feel like it was mm-hmm. important and then there was harry potter that showed me you could take a story and make a young main character, but make it smart and twisty in a cool world so adults yeah, could yeah. make it too. Harry, Harry Potter defined the kind of books I wanted to write. Mm. Young main character, smart and twisty, um, do some world building people I haven't seen before. That, that's that's the kind of stuff I do. Um, my best known series is probably Fable Haven. It is a, a brother and sister discover that their grandparents are the caretakers of a secret wildlife park for magical creatures. And the, the adventure starts off at a wildlife preserve called Fablehaven. As the series goes on, the characters journey farther and farther from Fablehaven to different wildlife parks for magical creatures, including a secret dragon sanctuary, an ancient demon prison. Um, dragon Watch is the direct sequel series to Fablehaven with the same main characters. So together, Fablehaven and Dragon Watch are like a 10-book series, probably my biggest, most epic thing so far. Um, I, I also did a series called Five Kingdoms about kids that get kidnapped into another world. That's five books. I did a series 
Um, I created with Scholastic a series called Spirit Animals that was written with a team of authors, and I was the the lead author on that. So I, I created the world for Spirit Animals and wrote the outline for the seven books and then wrote book one. Um, and then my most recent book is Candy Shop War. Um, Candy Shop War is kind of fun because it's got a different vibe, a lot of fantasies out in the woods with monsters in, in the forests and the, and the old yeah, yeah. castles and stuff. Candy Shop War is like a normal neighborhood, normal kids, but really weird magical stuff going on. Um, mm. Magicians have come to town. The magicians start sharing magical candy with certain kids. Different candies have different powers. The kids discover that to get more candy, they have to fulfill tasks or assignments from these magicians. As the assignments get questionable, the book gets interesting. It sort of blends. <laughs> Don't take candy from strangers and... Sometimes strangers have the best candy <laughs> and, and and it turns into a huge problem. Yeah. So here's the thing about Graham and I, if you ever listen to this podcast, you'll notice that early on there is a segment called snack time where we eat, just eat snacks and talk about them. And uh, <laughs> we are, um, we're kind of big candy guys. Um, are much to, uh, you know, our, our wives kind of roll their eyes yeah. you know, at us about this, uh, but our kids rejoice. So the question I have for you is, um, you write this whole book series about uh, candy or it features candy. Yeah. What's your favorite candy then? Like, you know, or do you do, or, or you'd be really weird if you just don't like candy at all. No, no, no. I, I, I like candy ever since I was a kid. Um, my favorite kind is when dark chocolate, when dark chocolate gets kind of nutty or like peanut butter cups, chocolate and peanut butter, sweet and salty. Yeah. That, that, that genre is kind of my favorite genre of candy, but I, uh, I'll do whatever, man. Sour gummies, those can be good if you're in the right mood. Like, you know, it's yep. all over the spectrum. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know what, this could go way off track with this, this food conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. If you give me on food, man, we, we can go down that rabbit hole. We, 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 got a, we got a question here from Annalise and I feel like we need to ask it. Let's just get this one out of the way so you can, um, you can either uh, disappoint her or make her excited. She wants mm-hmm. to know, are you going to write any more books in the Fable Haven slash Dragon Watch series or with those characters? I'm sure you get asked this all the time. Yeah, I get asked it a lot. You know, so I, when I finished Fable Haven, I finished that in 2010. And I thought it was done at the time. Mm-hmm. You you gave some time, gave me some some years after that. I wrote another series and stuff. And as I did so, I can't help daydreaming sometimes about my old stories and my old characters. And yeah, yeah. I got it. I came up with a whole sequel series. I came up with another five books. I, I made it a second half to, to Fablehaven. And I just finished that not that long ago, you know, maybe yeah. a year and a half ago or something. And yep. so um I there's a very good chance I'll go back into that story world, but I'm not sure exactly what yet. Yeah, um, yeah. In in the in the near future, I've got a three book series coming with a brand new story world. For me, that's exciting because I haven't done a brand new story world in about 10 years. Um, and the more I do this stuff, I feel like the more I learn and the better I get at it. So I'm excited to do something brand new and kind of surprise everybody with that. But but someday I might go back to Fable Haven and Dragon Watch. That 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 door is open. All right, this question is from Sarah, uh, and it's a pretty insightful one about your process. Uh, she asks, do you find it difficult with world creation across multiple series to keep everything straight? Do you ever accidentally add elements from one series into another? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I'm usually pretty good at keeping that stuff straight. If I have a superpower, it's holding story in my head. It's kind of mm. a world building. I build mo- I build uh, movies in my mind is how I describe it. And and each story world is sort of like a movie I've watched a thousand times. Mm. And so I know it really well. 
And that usually helps me differentiate. Sometimes if I'm going back to an old story world and it's been years, I have to flip the books open and refresh myself a little bit. But it comes back pretty quick because it's well-traveled ground for me. So um, I'm very nerdy about trying to make everything make sense. And because of that, um, you know, every now and then I'll mess up, but it's pretty rare. Um, because of that, yeah, I, I'm pretty good at keeping the story worlds separate and clear, I would say. So we get questions from kids a lot about adaptations. And according to my uh, internet research, there has been some discussion over the years about possibly doing Fable Haven and some of these, you know, possibly some of the other series as adaptations. Is that something that you are really motivated to do? Would you like to be participating in that process? I know because again, kids ask that all the time. Yeah, um, I'm open to it. I, I, I like a good movie. I like a good TV series. Mm-hmm. And so it, it would be fun. It would also expand the readership. So that would be, you know, I, I'm generally open to it. We've worked mm-hmm. with different production companies and movie studios who've tried to make a Fable Haven movie for years. There's currently a team at Netflix kind of like looking into trying to make a series for Fable Haven. It's early enough in development that it's not greenlit yet, but, you know, they option the rights. And so the process yeah, yeah. Is, 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 is happening. It's like real, but um, there's, there's dudes trying to make a candy shop series right now that's been that was optioned years ago by new line cinema like to try to make a movie and so um i've, I've been down that road of of almost several times which, yeah. which makes the person a little cynical when you have enough almost you know i don't mind optioning the rights i always try to option to somebody who seems like they understand the material enough to do a really good job and you know it's tricky to make a movie they got to get the right script the right director the right actors you know before somebody green lights it and pulls the trigger and so you know i i hope i would love to see them make a good fable haven movie someday or tv show i i always in my contracts stipulate specify having some creative involvement you know i'm not i it's hard with a big project like that to get creative control i don't have that kind of clout but i but i'll have a seat at the table and i'll do my best to you know give my input to help keep it cool that's yeah. sort of where I am on that. Would you want live action versus animation? Have you ever thought about that kind of thing? If yeah, you had to I mean, choose? We're, we're looking at live action for most of the stuff right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I could picture like, like if the right studio did it, you could do a really great animated Fable Haven or something. But yeah, um, right now everybody keeps thinking live action. I think I think partly because Fable Haven's the kind where you got this main character in the real world and they were there discovering, Oh, hidden around the corner. If you, if I drink this special milk, suddenly I can see that all the, all the hummingbirds and butterflies are fairies and, you know, the horses are centaurs, you know, at this special place. And I, and I think that's, that has more impact if you go from someone like live action, discovering that versus mm. someone cartoon discovering that, like if they can yeah. pull up the live action, it would make the, the, the contrast of the magical to the real world would feel more um, marked and extreme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, and I think, uh, I mean, obviously, like we would love to see that happen. But I, I it's interesting because, like, as a kid, I remember wanting to see certain things as movies or TV shows, and just being wondering, like, why, why isn't this happened yet? Like, thinking all the author needed to do is say, yes, do it. And then it gets done. But like the process can be very long and like, there's a lot of people involved. And um, like you're saying, it moves through 
like it gets optioned and then it might sit somewhere for a long time and then producers get added. There's just all sorts of people. Um, yeah, it's it's a giant. It's, you know, writing a book is tennis. You know, it's a solo sport. And, yeah. and making a movie is, I don't know. I don't know if there's a sport with that many players. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? yeah. There's just so many players in, in making yeah, yeah, a movie yeah. that. That, that you're you're trying to get this giant team together and there's always too many cooks in the kitchen and mm. and and you know it's it, it, what it what it takes is somebody who's a real visionary and who really sees it you know whether that's a producer or a director you know some key guy who really understands what needs to happen and they push it through right and yeah you know we've we've worked with some good guys but never anybody that had the white hot passion to make it work mm. um a thing that I do like is, you know, a lot of my very top drawer best entertainment experiences have been with my favorite books, you know, yeah. because that it's that theater in your head where you can control um, what things look like. And, 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 yeah. and, and you kind of, because it's happening in your mind, you participate in a different way than when you watch it on a screen. Yeah. Um, you know, I, when I read a good book, I feel like I live it versus watch it. And, um, you know, so I'm, I'm glad the books exist is kind of what I'm saying. And, and, mm -hmm. and, and to me, like to make a movie from my point of view, that's, that's, a, would be fun if that side thing happened, you know, to someone else, it's their main thing. But to me, that's yeah. a side thing. Yeah, my yeah. main thing is I just love making the stories. I love that the stories exist. If someone makes a movie, I'll, I'll hope people still can get the best experience, which will be the book. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, right. like and, yeah. And, and, and if I'm wrong about it, if they make a movie that totally outshines the book, I would be thrilled. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, yeah. but for me so often, man, like, I mean, even when they knock it out of the park, you know, even, even when you get like Peter Jackson making Lord of the Rings where, you know, it was unreasonable, an unreasonably good adaptation. It, there's still a certain fix I get from the books that the movie can't touch. You know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're book guys. We, we get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and here's me, like, uh, you know, I'm probably preaching to the choir with the kind of kids that are tuning into this. <laughs> yeah. But at least I'm reinforcing it to them, you know, because I, yeah, yeah. I love reinforcing that idea that we have we have lots of entertainment options, right? Like we we've got movies and and internet and video games and all those things have some quality. All those things are good, but like for me, the most intimate and highest fidelity has always been a book. Yeah, and yeah. I'm a guy who's way nerdy about movies, way nerdy about shows, but like because the way the book happens in my head, it's yeah. it's just a richer, deeper experience. And and like once kids have that experience, they get it. The only thing that I think is hard is sometimes conning some kids into giving it a chance, you know, becoming yeah. a proficient yeah. enough reader that they can have that movie turn on in their head. And once it does, it's like, oh yeah, this will never go out of fashion. This is this is better in a lot of ways than anything else we've got, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's a real magic to that. Um, okay. So, uh, Elsie has a two part question or maybe they're just different questions, but she asked two of them. Uh, so she okay. asks, what do you do when you get stuck? That's the first one. And then second one, are you often writing more than one book at a time? Yeah. Okay. Second question first, cause that's easy. I'm, I am seldom writing more than one book at a time. Um, usually I'm working contract to contract. So I've, I've got a book contracted and I just have to knock that out. Um, in my yeah. head, I'm always working on a billion things like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of like any task, but the task at hand, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this, yeah. this divergent mind that, you know, you get me, you got to do this, Brandon. And so my head will start wandering down weird paths. And that's <laughs> great. Cause then when, by the time I'm done with the current book, I've got a lot of ideas for future stuff. 
But um, as far as actually working and working at one book at a time, um, what, what was the first question? Uh, what do you do when you get stuck? Oh, yeah, when I get stuck. Yeah. Presumably um, she means it's writing stuck. I assume not like stuck in time or stuck in the closet. Or, like... <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yeah. When I get stuck, I get some cardboard. I put it under the back wheels. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, when, when I get stuck writing or when I get kind of a block to me, that feels like it's a signal that I'm going down the wrong road. It's a signal that things are getting boring or I've made a bad choice. Hmm. Um, so, so usually when I get stuck, what I have to do is assess what I'm doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like assess is first I'll assess, is this scene necessary? Um, and then I'll assess, is this scene interesting? And if the scene's not interesting enough, usually I, I could say, is there enough trouble going on in my story right now? And trouble doesn't have to be a meteor headed toward earth or it doesn't have to be life or death, but there has to be lots of problems and hardships and character interaction problems, all sorts of problems. Like if there's not enough trouble, that's usually why I'm stuck is the scene's kind of boring and I need to have something more urgent happening or something more interesting happening. So Mm -hmm. I'll like, if I get stuck, I'll take a walk. I'll think about that. I'll think about how can I add some trouble? I'll think about, is this scene necessary? Sometimes I'll come back and cut the scene. Sometimes I'll come back and I'll add in some trouble and until the scene feels interesting to me to write. You know, one of my theories is if a scene is boring to me as the writer, heaven help my reader. And so, you know, like, like usually my signal that it's getting boring is I'm getting bored. I'm getting stuck. And so Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, what do I have to do? So this is good and not boring. Right. So we got this question here from Izzy and Izzy asks, how do you come up with the story plots for your books? Um, and then also asked about, did you know that Fable Haven was going to be exactly five books from the beginning? But this question about story plots is interesting, given what you're saying here, because it sounds like maybe, would would you say that coming up with the plots sort of comes naturally or easy to you? And then it's about sh- fleshing out the scenes? Or does the story, does the plot part also, like, do you have to spend a lot of time with that part? So... When it comes to making the plot of the story, I daydream. I, I've got a million different daydreamy story things I could write, right? Like m- my head produces stories nonstop. It's how I cope with reality. In a sense, as I write books, I'm sharing my coping mechanism with people. This is how I cope with traffic, right? Like, what if 20 dwarves <laughs> attacked a giant? Like, you know, and I play that out in my head. And so, like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I've always got a bunch of stuff I could tell. What I'm paying attention to is, um, of my daydreams, which ones seem to get way better the more energy I put into them? I think as I put more energy into them, what daydreams grow into like a playground in my head that I just want to spend lots of time there? So that's like, I'm yeah. looking for that first. And then as I find a playground in my head, then I start, what's the, what's the story here in this playground, right? Like when I'm looking for story, I'm looking for interesting characters with interesting trouble. I'm looking for yeah. really tough moments that they'll have to overcome. And I start seeing like a movie in my head and that movie in my head is, is my story. And when, once I have a movie in my head that I'm like, this has to exist. This is, I'm going to, I'm going to take however long it takes. If it's five years of my life, if it's one year of my mm-hmm. life, I'm going to make this thing exist because hmm. it's that important to me. Right. And, and I understand the price because I've done it a bit. And so, you know, I know it's going to take a lot of time, a lot of work, but if I get one in my head, that's that exciting to me, I, I, uh, I'm what I have in my mind generally is interesting characters with interesting trouble to face. And so when I look for how do I make my plot 
it's what's the big problem my characters are trying to overcome and then what's all the little problems along the way and then i have my story yeah 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 and then and, and then, that takes time i mean that's that's like it's simple to maybe summarize how i do it yeah but what we're talking about is often years of daydreaming until something gets cool enough it cooks in my head and i daydream and daydream like i just mentioned earlier until it's like a movie i've seen a hundred times you know and yeah then, okay wait a minute i've got enough here and then as i write it i'm always making stuff up adding stuff filling in blanks that i didn't realize were there you know and, and you know but but i but i do start out with some basic main characters i think are cool and some basic trouble they're going to face and then you go to the you go to the pantry to get more snacks and it's just lots of snacks and then all of a sudden over the years yeah, those yeah, snacks yeah. have added up into a story I, I almost ignored the snacking, but yeah, that's an important part of it all. And the meals. <laughs> the sleeping. Yeah. All right. Graham, this, go ahead. This this is a question from Anna, and um, she touches on uh, something you had briefly mentioned at the top, and it's a question that I'm also very curious about. Uh, she says, how do all the different authors of spirit animals work together? So she's referencing that multi-book series with different authors that you had said you did you say you uh how did you describe it i, I was kind of the leader of that team like like they, they had me, the, the guy that kicked it off and the guy that kind of built the story world and then and then i worked with a, a team of seven authors so here's the thing i did spirit animals in the first place because i thought oh this is such a solo job it would be really fun to do something collaborative yeah. right um so I could see what that experience is like. And as a consequence of them kind of wanting me to lead the team on spirit animals. And it, it, what that basically meant was it didn't end up being super collaborative for me because as the guy that went first, I, I had, they gave me like the basics. We want kids and animals going on adventures. They gave me a few types of animals, a panda a falcon or whatever. And mm -hmm. they gave me some base, like the four basic kid characters and the four basic animals and said, make this cool. And, and, and at first <laughs> I was even like, this could be dumb, like kids and animals going on adventures, right? This, this, this could feel dumb. And, and so I was like, but this, this, my job is could, could I take that and make it, something that I thought was cool. And I was like, yeah, I think I could. So I built a world where that made sense for kids and animals to go on adventures. And I, and I created a, you know, a big kind of history for that world. And this idea of great beasts and this, like just a ton of stuff that's part of that series. Right. So I created the story world then so that we could all be telling the same story. I wrote an outline for seven books so that, you know, cause there had to be some continuity. Mm -hmm. And then I wrote book one. And so Weirdly, like I want to do this collaborative thing, but like I, I kind of was since I was the first guy, I was the one guy who didn't really directly collaborate with anyone. Because then what what happened was Maggie Steve Otter, who wrote book two, inherited those notes and that plan, and then she did her thing with it. Right? She did. She yeah. was the writer that brought that part of the plan to life, and then Garth Nix was the writer that brought the next part of the plan to life, and then Shannon Hale was the writer who brought the next next plan part of the plan to life. So. The writers after me did something much more collaborative than I did, if that makes sense. But, huh. you know, so what I did was important to keep us all, you know, maybe I was the drummer, like, you know, setting the rhythm, um, you know, writing the outline, and then everybody else, you come in on your guitars and you do your thing at your part, right? But like, uh, so I set the rhythm, but I didn't really play off them very much because they all came after. Hmm. So do you want, like, 
I know you talked about how making a movie is, is a collaborative thing. Like, is the idea of telling stories collaboratively really appealing to you, or do you do you prefer the idea of just kind of being able to hunker down and tell your stories the way you want to tell them? To be honest, I prefer to hunker hunker down and tell my stories the way I want to tell yeah. them. I think yeah. that the the strength of Spirit Animals was we had a bunch of different authors bringing their strengths to each book sure. that they wrote. And the weakness of spirit animals is continuity of voice, of story voice, of character voices. Yeah. Right? And for me, for me personally, I think, yeah, the continuity of voice is more important. You know what I mean? <laughs> like if, if yeah. I was if I was making that call for most of the stuff I write, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and also there's just a lot of power when one person has a vision on a story and then they execute it their way that keeps it from getting messy. Right. That keeps it from get like losing, losing its way. Hmm. Um, you know, and you can lose your way as one guy just fine. But, but I, I think it's a little easier to lose your way when you get a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And so um, I was happy to try that out and maybe it worked out perfectly because of the way I am, Maybe I wouldn't have loved being the guy that wrote book four and inherited all that. And then, you know, like the more I learn about myself, the more I think maybe I am like a solo, a solo act most of the time. There (laughs) is a possibility under the right circumstance. I would try to co-write something with someone someday Mm -hmm. if it was the right brain. Cause I I am interested to see what could happen. Um, But like, as my normal pattern, it would be, yeah, I've got my voice. I've got my style. I've got what I think is cool and funny and interesting. And I I just kind of want to do that. Yeah. 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 Okay. One more question here. And then we got a quiz for you. Um, Mm -hmm. Graham, let's do this one about uh, book wandering. It's a great question. We've been asking every, I think most authors this season. And it's from Audrey. If you could book wander in any classic book, think Tom Sawyer, the secret garden, the Lord of the Rings, whatever, what would it be? Like, what classic would you choose and why is what Audrey's wondering. So I can go into that story world and yep. explore yep. it. Yep. Okay. So, you know, I always like, I've got this really practical side of my brain that's like, well, that one would probably get me killed. This one would probably <laughs> get me killed. So, yeah, but yeah. if I turn that off, right? Yeah. I'd want to go see Lord of the Rings. I'd want to go see the Tolkien stuff. Okay. I, I, okay. I would go tour that world and probably never come back yeah i might get killed by an orc and 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 yeah but i'll try to get a mythical shirt on and you know see what i can do to there protect you go. myself and just uh just don't wander off the path in murkwood that's my one piece of advice yeah yeah i don't want to be spider food well the good or, thing is know, he has enough just... knowledge to know that you could just stay in the Shire the whole time too. People I come could do really well in the Shire. Lots of snacks. I, I could just kind of. I could be just sort of the the big person who who hangs out. You know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I could. I could. I could do well in Middle Earth, and I could. I could chill with the elves for a very long time. Just mm. kind of chill and listen to their lore and like mm. walk on graceful bridges or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe share. Maybe share some I don't of your know own what I lore. Think I would do there. I'd probably be bored, but. Like it seems good right now. Yeah. I mean, there are storytelling people. You could just tell stories. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, if if, yeah. if, I, if I could sit there and listen to them tell stories in English, like some of the elf songs in Elvish are a little much, but maybe yeah, I'd learn yeah. Elvish. Maybe that would be awesome. I don't <laughs> know. Like, like, but yeah, I would definitely. I could geek out. And in one of my bios, as you know, it's, as it says a joke, but it's it's half serious. Like, it, my biggest regret is that I have but one life to give for Gondor, <laughs> and and that's. 
you know, that's my way of like nodding. Like, I like that. I like that stuff a lot. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, it quite yeah, a yeah. Bit. well, you know, our podcast is called Withy Wendell. Our bookstore is called Goldberry Books. So we're right there with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay, let's do this quiz. As you mentioned earlier, your best known series is probably Fable Haven. Yeah, Fable Haven. Yeah, yeah. That, that was the first one I wrote. And it's the one that's had the, the, the longest reach, the biggest reach. Yeah. Lots of languages. So, lots so of, given so that, I thought let's do a quiz adjacent to to Fablehaven, more adjacent to fables, and 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 we know that the greatest, the most well known uh, fable teller, other than you, is uh, is Aesop. well Aesop. That's right. So yeah. I have a quiz related to Aesop's fables for you, and we're going to find out how much you know about uh, Aesop trivia. Yeah, let's give it a try. I, I'll probably do fairly poorly, but I'll do my best. <laughs> I think you'll probably do all right. Um, okay, Are so these here's multiple qu- choice, multiple choice questions, all of them. Okay, okay. so here's here's question one, uh, Brandon Mall, and and I know don't stress, uh, you're gonna be, you're gonna do great. If I okay. do poorly, that's all. It's all part of the fun. Uh, yeah, exactly. If you do poorly, I'll have a lot of questions. Okay, <laughs> question one: Which of the following was not a real Aesop fable? Okay, okay. a the crow and the pitcher. B, the frogs who desired a king. C, the tortoise and the hare. Or D, the author who ate too many snacks. <laughs> I, I'm going to go with the author who ate too many snacks. Uh, that that is correct. Ding ding ding. But, but I like the 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 frog king one. I didn't know about that one. That's one I want to. I'll have to go find, track that down and read it. The frogs who desired a king is a is a good name for a for a fable. And I now you're right. Now I want to know why they desired a king and, and what happened to the king and what would it be like to be a king of frogs and, and so forth. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, you're one for one so far. Good job. All right. Question two. So we all know that morals were eventually added to Aesop's fables, right? They weren't initially written, but they were added on later on. So which of the yeah. following is not a moral? customarily found attached to a traditional Aesop's fable. Okay, so which of these is not a moral traditionally found attached to a fable? A. Slow and steady wins the race. B. Necessity is the mother of invention. C. The moral of the story is don't talk about the moral of the story. Or D. Too much greed will lead to great loss. (sighs) That's pretty good. I mean, I, I guess I'll try C. But but they're all pretty good. Yeah, the moral of the story is don't talk about the moral of the story. That is not a moral of a story. But, yeah, but, not but, an explicit but, one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but it's it's not a bad thought, you know. Like it, it sometimes it's, it's nice to let the story speak for itself. Right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, so you're two for two, Graham. He's doing pretty well so far. I'm doing um, amazing. I, I'm, I'm delighted with myself. <laughs> okay, we're gonna David, David you got to trip him up. I know we got to do a harder one. Uh, okay, let's try. Uh, let's try this one. Okay, Brandon, if you had to uh, room, like you know, be a roommate with one character from Aesop, which would you choose? Which of the following would you choose? A. The wily fox. B. The impertinent insect. C. The boy who cried wolf. Or D. The trumpeter taken captive. Which of those would um, you want to room, room have be roommates with? Who would I want to room with? Um. Yeah, like I, I think the boy who cried wolf because it'd just be fun to see. 
what other stuff he he lies about or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like, like how far does how far does this reach? Like, is he the boy that cries? I have no soap in the shower. He's got plenty, or you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, the boy that cries. You ate my cereal, but I'm like, no, I didn't. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in some ways, that'd be terrible. But in some ways, it'd be kind of fun. Yeah, that the storyteller in you wants to know that. The, but that could get annoying after a while. Oh, it would get annoying. But it, but like sometimes I don't mind character humor. If it's, if it's from the heart. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Graham, should we let him have that one? I like that one for the boldness of that choice. I, I agree. That, that's true. Cool. But I would like... Eventually, he's going to be the boy who cried, I don't have my rent money this month. <laughs> yeah, it, it, would be a, it would be a tough roommate, right? It would be a tough roommate. But, that's true. That's you know, true. Maybe, who would you guys choose? Well, I would like to know someone who chooses that they want to live with the impertinent insect because I would not choose that one personally. Yeah, I don't know that I want to live with an impertinent insect. That, and a wily fox. What's the difference between a wily fox and a boy who cried wolf? Ultimately, it's like they're both be difficult to live with. Yeah, yeah. The wily, the wily fox would be difficult, but the wily fox again. I'm like, well, what's he? What angles is he going to work? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, true. Like, what's this guy going to do? I'm I'm going to watch him. I'm going to yeah. learn from him. And how can I take advantage of this? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. Uh, question four: Which of the following is not believed to be true about? Aesop, the tr- the traditional, the, the original author of these fables. Aesop himself, yeah. Okay. Aesop himself, that's right. A, he was a slave. B, he had really bad carpal tunnel syndrome because he wrote, told so many stories. Uh, C, he had a speech impediment. Or D, he died uh, in Delphi. Okay, so I, I'm going to guess it's a the carpal tunnel one is is not is not true about Aesop. So as best we can tell. He did not have carpal tunnel syndrome, but on the other hand, we can't prove that he didn't have carpal tunnel syndrome. That's true. He might have, right? So I'm just, we're going to give you that one, but I feel like history has some, you know, like scholars have some work to do still. We're not sure. Yeah. It could be, you know, and what kind of slave was he? Right. You know, maybe, maybe he was doing something that made his fingers, you know. True. I mean, I think that we should honestly (laughs) do more research on, all historical writers to determine the degree to which they had carpal tunnel, because I feel like we're not giving authors throughout history enough credit for the risk that carpal tunnel syndrome is. Yeah, to a writer. They might've all had it. Yeah. You know, they might've had it worse. It's true. Yeah. And we know he, he was laid to rest in Delphi. So why can't they find him and figure this out? Come on. Yeah, exactly. Cause I'm sure there's some kind Maybe of, we'll do it. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. It's another business we can start finding yep. out about carpal tunnel, your new mission, bone structure and famous authors. Okay, last question, Brandon. You, you're four for four, which is uh, both exciting and disappointing. Um, <laughs> which of the following movies was inspired by Aesop's fables? Okay, so which of the following movies was inspired by Aesop's fables? A, A Bug's Life. B, Air Bud. C, The Fantastic Mr. Fox. Or D, Made in Manhattan. Hmm. That's good. I'm, I'm thinking it's probably Fantastic Mr. Fox or, or Bugs Life. I'm going to guess a Bugs Life. You sure? That's my guess. No, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm positive. Y- y- you should stick with that. Yeah, it's a Bugs. It's a Bugs Life. Airbud, to our knowledge, Aesop was not aware of dogs playing basketball. Uh, yeah. Probably wasn't super aware of Manhattan. And I know these stories can be inspired by you know all kinds of things. Um, Fantastic Mr. Fox uh, comes from a Roald Dahl book. Yeah, and then, and I was uh, just thinking about how wily that fox was, and I was like, "Wow, well, wily fox!" You know, you never yeah. know. 
That's true. And Dahl could have been inspired by. Yeah, was Dahl inspired? Yeah, what happened? You know, but yeah, Probably. both sides seemed like maybe. Yeah, go on. I mean, ultimately, what authors are not inspired by Aesop, right? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe it all goes back to him. Well, Graham, Brandon aced that one. He went five for five. You have to work harder to make a harder quiz next time. Good job, Brandon. No, I don't, I don't know. I, I, it was it was good questions. Each question felt kind of educational. I, I feel like I learned some stuff, so that was good. I'm just happy to hear Airbud. The words Airbud again. Yeah, me too. Yeah, Airbud. The yeah, yeah. Not not to be confused with AirPods. Yeah. Do, do kids know that nowadays? Airbud is that is that I don't, history? Who knows? Oh, it's a great. Well, question. I don't know. You know what? I remember it. All of our, you know, we're all kind of that millennial age that. Uh, remember Airbud, and now we're having kids, and so yeah, they're yeah, probably they, the through AirPod. the parents, they can keep that alive, you know. Yeah, don't, yeah, yeah. The important work of cultural preservation. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, well, speaking of learning something, it is now time for our word of the week, and uh, hmm. we have a crazy, crazy word that we want to try to figure out what it means. Um, here's the thing, Brandon. Um, Gargle Hauser, the bookstore troll, who was named by some listeners, so shout out to them, to the to the Watson kids. Um, he he likes to make our life difficult. He stole our word of the week dictionary. He and the he the old word of the week printer became sentient and ran off. They they now they live in the basement of the bookstore, and they're holding oh. the the bookstore the, the word of the week dictionary hostage. And it's each week, whole, Graham, it's a whole thing. As yeah, you can tell. Five seasons in the making. Graham has to go down there and he negotiates with the bookstore troll. And they've been asking for things like wood and paint and like power tools. So Graham, what are they asking for this week in order to give us the word? Uh, not much. They, um, they, not asked, much. For, they asked for a... Uh, Last week, you had to open a new credit card to get it. Uh, they, they asked for a... Uh, a hardware store. I don't want to mention the name. I don't want to buzz market them. I, I, a hardware <laughs> store gift card. So I, I think what we've been giving them maybe hasn't been up to snuff or hasn't been enough, but it, just a gift card. Simple. Um, it was uh, $10,000 $10, uh, gift card. But um, you, wow. Hold, hold on. Can you take a step back and say that again? No, I will not. Uh, but we paid for it somehow through the store and got a word out of it. So here you I, go. I feel like... Um, my accounting is going to be uh, complicated and I'm not going to want to look at my bank account for a while for the, for the shop. But here we are. We got a word of the week anyway. Uh, okay. So let me take a look at this. Um, okay. So our word of the week, Brandon, and um, you may want to write this one down. It is uh, lamprophony. Lamprophony. L-A-M-P. R O P H O N Y, lamb prophony or lamp rophony, I guess is depending on if you what do you want to emphasize. But that is our word of the week for this week. So we're going to take a quick break, write down what we think this word means, and then reveal our guesses in just a second. Grammy's about to get up and walk around and think about this for a second. Yeah, if I got a pace, I can't sit here. All right, yeah, we're back. We're back. Oh, go take it away, Graham. You go first, then I'll go. Then, then Brandon can go. All right, so lamprophony. Okay, this is a fun one because uh, usually they're derived from you know the French or the Latin, and I'm I'm happy to see that you picked one that was derived from sheepish. 
Um, <laughs> so the the lamb uh, prophany is actually uh, it's a it's a sheepish word. Uh, it describes the act of falsely proclaiming the herd to be in danger, the flock to be in danger. So lamb. Prophet. So it's when the 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 sheep ba- baas. Yeah, it came warning? from Ba. That's right, and we we turned it into lamb prophecy. But yes, okay. You know, I think you're. I think you're close. Honestly, I think you're close because I I think you know I, I saw the word phony in there. You saw the word lamb. I saw the word phony, and I think maybe if you put them together, there's something to it here because I think lamb prophecy is. Uh, it's the habit of telling lies, a la the boy who cried wolf, usually about catastrophic events that supposedly are about to happen. So I think we might both be on to something here. But I mean, it's for Brandon. Really, it's for Brandon to tell us what he thinks it is. So Brandon, what's Lamprophony? Uh, I, have, I have my own idea on this. And I, I think Lamprophony is when an idea is so good that it overrides your free will and takes control of you. Uh, interesting. It's kind of like when you're writing a story and all of a sudden the keyboards just, the words are just coming. Yeah. 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 If, if an idea is so good that it overrides your free will, you're experiencing lamprophony. I like that. <laughs> I think that's probably closer. David, I, I don't mind being wrong with you. That feels right. Well, I'm not sure <laughs> if that's, if that's right, but, it, but it's, uh, that's my poker face. Okay. Right. Well, I, I'm going to open, I'm going to, uh, reveal this, flip it over here. Okay. $10,000 word. Oh wow! Okay, oh, you know what? In a way, we're all sort of on the same right-ish track, kind of. Okay, that so lamprophony is loudness and clarity of enunciation. Loudness and clarity of enunciation. So we're wrong, but it does involve expression of things. I, I, I like the boy who cried wolf one. You know, like like that's the, I think that might have been the closest. And then the sheep, like, like I think your guys' were the closest. And that's that's pretty because uh, that's not that far off. Yeah, those are that's nicely done. Tip of the hat. But then also yours could be like if the idea is so good, you have to enunciate it loudly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see how you can get there. I see how you can get there. I feel like this is honestly the closest anybody's ever been. <laughs> <laughs> um well Brandon this has been really fun. We got a couple, you got time for like two questions, whatever you want. Okay. So here we'll do these two. These we kind of like to end with these. Okay. Is there anything that you're working on right now that you are at liberty to, to share with the listeners to kind of tell us what you're working on or what's coming soon? Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing I can hint about, and I can't say everything about it yet, but I, I've got to see when I finished candy shop board book three, the carnival quest, that was the first time since I started writing that all my series were concluded. Mm. So it's the first time in 18 years that I didn't have an open series or an ongoing series that I'm still working. Wow. I closed everything up. So the consequence of that is I need to start a new series. A new series that I've started is probably tentatively called The Forbidden Mountain. will be in a fantasy mm. world. Um, it'll be three books. It'll be through Random House probably. Um, and that's that's what I'm working on right now. Awesome. So I'm about 10 chapters in and pushing forward. Well, I, I think... Oh, us and every kid who's listening right now is probably saying, hurry up, why don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. What's the holdup? Yeah. I, I, I hear them. I, like, <laughs> if that's how they feel, you know, uh, once you know something's coming, you want it to come. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Graham, do you have any final questions or should I, should I ask the, the advice question? Let's ask the ultimate question. 
Okay, Brandon, we got a lot of kids who are listening who want to be writers. What advice would you give them? And I don't, I don't want to make it difficult for you, but we get the, the we get the answer from a lot of people that they just need to read more. You read a lot. Yeah. I'm sure you're sure. going to say that. You're you go to schools talking about that, so you can just say that if you want. But then if you do that, then you're just saying yeah, what everybody yeah, else I mean, has said. I'm just so. adding to the static of that same answer. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I thought yeah. maybe you seem like a guy who wants to like say something original. Yeah, I, I am. <laughs> Here's what I'll say. Like, if you want to get good at writing and you want to share your ideas with the world, there's this old saying in writing that is, write what you know. And I like to amend that a little bit. Okay. Because I like to write stories about dragons. Mm. I like to write stories about unicorns and I like to write stories about fairies and monsters and demons. Right. And so, um, and I, I don't have firsthand experience with dragons. I'm going to be honest. Right. Mm. Um, I have a lot of experience in my imagination with dragons. I have a lot of experience <laughs> in movies and books with dragons. I don't have a lot of firsthand tactile experience with dragons. And so right. I like to change, write what you know, to write what you love. Mm. Because if you write what you love, if you write what you really are most into and what really seems coolest to you, it gives you the best chance that someone else will think it's cool too. It gives you the best mm. chance that, that you'll put your best effort into making it cool and good. Um, and I think it goes beyond write what you know, because you can know something and not be passionate about it. But if you love something, if you write what you really love, if you write that kind of story you desperately wish existed and that you desperately want to read, I think that gives you your best chance of finding some success. So that, that'll be my tip. Mm. That's a good one. It's a good one. Thanks. Thanks for saying something original. Yeah. Something a little <laughs> different. Read a lot, write a lot. That's also of course important. Yeah, right? yeah. 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 Well, Graham, anything else you want to add before we let Brandon go off to write about stuff that he loves? No, I think if we hold him up any longer, we will be complicit in these books being delayed yeah that's right yeah <laughs> we gotta we gotta cut them loose okay, all right well brandon you are free to go thank you so much for coming on we had a great time and and we're honored that you joined us yeah th- thanks thanks for talking to me a little bit and you know what when you're a writer sometimes you kind of live in a cave so having a little bit of interaction with other humans <laughs> it's healthy it keeps the owls out of my beard and stuff so thanks guys yeah awesome thank you so much well, that was Brandon Mall. Thank you so much to Brandon Mall for coming on the podcast and chatting with us, hanging out and, you know, going through one of those quizzes. We really appreciate him doing that. And I know that uh, there's a lot of listeners who love those books who are excited to hear from him too. Well, Graham, what's the last segment of this podcast? Uh, the last segment of this podcast is Riddle Time. Riddle Time. Well, last week, I told you about how Wednesday, Steve and Pam went to a restaurant to eat lunch. And after eating lunch, they paid the bill, but Steve and Pam didn't pay the bill. So who did? And did any kids get this one right, Graham? Uh, yeah, everybody. Every, everybody did? They got that, that, everybody. That, that their friend Wednesday paid for the lunch? Yeah, that Wednesday with a capital W. Yeah. Um, it yeah, was yeah. the name. We weren't. You were not talking about on a Wednesday. No, but this I, happened. It was a trick of you were speaking very fast. But it also and, sounds like it's possible that maybe this was too easy for the kids. Oh, could have been. Yeah, could have been. Because I, I, I didn't see any wrong answers this time. Unlike the the previous one with all that math. Yeah, all that. You had to show your work. Well, good job yeah. by everybody who got that one right. Now, this week's riddle is about breakfast. So, 
Give me a name, Graham. Give me a name. Oh, I got a name. I'll tell it to you. Just one <laughs> second. Uh, you're not sure. going to believe this one. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, uh, Chaffee. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Chaffee McEdgerson. Uh, he, well, he was a miner, so naturally he'd get hungry, right? So, he, you yeah. know, before a long day in the mines... Uh, he would he would go to his favorite his favorite diner, and uh, he would he would go get the same thing every day. Well, one day he went to this to this diner, and uh, the the owner of the mine wanted to do something very nice for all the people that worked for the mine. So he said, "Anybody here? What? Anybody here? Yeah, I know it's not very like mine owners." Sir, Any- Jeff- Sir Jefferson Twillsbury? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Every now and then he doesn't the night. So out of character. <laughs> and he said he said, What if there's a Jefferson Twillsbury listening? He he says, On this menu, there are a lot of words. There are there are a lot of there are a lot of things in this menu. There's breakfast, there's you know, pancakes, there's uh, sausage and eggs and all that kind of stuff. There's yep, also yep. lunch and dinner. And he says, if you can figure out what the two things you can never eat for breakfast are, I'll pay for your breakfast. Out so, of all the things on the menu? Yeah, so Jefferson Twillsbury is being a little bit, you know, he's being nice, but he's also like, I think maybe he's testing the intelligence of, of his employees. I'm not really sure about that, but yeah, he comes, so it's nice, but like stringent, you kind of have to earn it, you know, so um, maybe they should bring in Lazy Jack and he'd at least be persistent with this riddle. So there's two things on that menu that they can never eat for breakfast? Right, yeah. So, Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So what we need is the kids to help poor Ed, uh, poor Chaffee McEdgerson, uh, get his breakfast paid for. So yeah, two things on that menu that, that you can that they can't eat for breakfast. If you can figure out what those are, then Jefferson Twillsbury will uh, will pay for it. Nice. Yeah. So. Good riddle. Well, Graham, that brings us, as all riddles do, to the end of another episode of Withy Windle. How did you feel about um, this one? I I mean how how could you not feel perplexed? <laughs> great question. It's a great great um, question. Hey, uh, do you think uh, should it be this episode that we tell people about limited edition shirts and potentially posters coming soon, or should we should we not tell people about that? And, and uh, let me think about it for time. a second. So you want to talk about how we might be releasing some limited edition posters and T-shirts that are themed to Withy Windle that will be on sale yeah. soon at the end of the season, and we're going to do a pre-order, and we'll have more details on it coming soon. You want to? You're wondering whether we should talk about that. I wonder if we should talk about it. Maybe it's something, you know, where you kind of talk about it, but you don't give too many details. You know what? No, no, no. You know what? Let's just wait till next week. Let's just wait till next week. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, we'll wait. We'll keep, keep ironing out the details. And once we have all the details, then we'll tell the kids about these t-shirts and posters and things like that. All right. Specific I won't say to this. anything then. Yeah, I won't okay. say anything. That's probably for the best. Okay. Well, thank you to Brandon Mull for coming on this week. Thank you for, um, for word for to words for being lazy. So we would have a lazy word segment. Thank you to snacks for being delicious and stories for being timed and uh thank you of course to cersei press for sponsoring this season click that link in the show notes or go to cersei press uh and and the website there and and, and grab that book it's gonna be a good one and thank you to the uh the withy windlers the wi- the uh the withy listener what would you call them windlists the withy windle the windle hive the withy windleheimers <laughs> Oh, none of these are good. 
the Wendell, the Wendell Club. The, the with you know what? Maybe we think, maybe we should have the kids solve this problem for us. What should the Withy Wendell audience be called? We're not going to solve it. No, of course we can't not. solve it. We're not that smart. We got smart listeners for that reason. That's another thing people can let us know. So you send us the answer to the riddle. Send us lazy word answers and tell us what the Withy Wendell audience should be called by emailing us at podcast at goldberrybooks.com or by leaving a comment in the Substack post. And if you want to talk to other Withelheimer Schmitz, uh, you could go onto that Substack and you could actually see each other. Well, I mean, you see a little photo or maybe you don't. I don't know. You see each other's names. (laughs) You can still say, hey, "Hey, other people listen. I'm Sherman and I like Withy Wendell. And I have a pet also named Sherman. Goodbye. And then somebody will comment under that. Ha ha. And then you can say, why are you laughing at me? (laughs) Just, I mean, think of that connection. I mean, it won't go that smooth, but you know. (laughs) Next thing you know, you get a pen pal for at least three letters. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Withy Wendell. Graham, thank you so much. Uh, for Grand Pittman, I'm David Kern. Until next time, happy reading. Goodbye. <laughs>